Where do all the people come from and where do all the people go? These questions are what marketers ask all the time. So we turn to our friend, Andrew Rosen, to find out what happens, how fractionalization really creates a dynamic within a marketplace and what it means to you as a content creator, filmmaker, agency owner, person living in this world. So welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Keith, it's so great to have Andrew back. Indeed. I feel like Andrew always makes us like 80 IQ points are higher. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Indeed. Andrew Rosen, thanks for being back on our podcast thing here. It's really great to have you. Thank you for having me back. It's exciting to be back. You know what? I truly, there is something like whenever I read your work or talk to you, I feel like I can never really catch up to everything that's going on in your mind. I feel like you're the... um, What's the movie with Russell Crowe? And he's like um, trying to map oh, the world. <laughs> <laughs> Not gladiator. No, the one. Uh, uh, beautiful, beautiful Mind. mind. And, uh, beautiful Mind. Mind. There you go. <laughs> I think that's a different movie. <laughs> yeah. doesn't end so great, but. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> not, not the best analogy you've ever come up with, no, Tim, but you know, it starts it, out really smart. Really, what you're, really your game plan is to track my progressive mental decline. <laughs> yeah. <It's> absolute insanity. Sell <laughs> the screenplay. <laughs> I think it, it finished fine, right? He just learned how to cope with his friends that were standing next to him during the whole time. But he won a yeah. Nobel Prize, so he can't yeah. be. Can't do That's that. true. Too far All off, right? right? But he had imaginary friends. Right? Yes. I mean, that was the. Like, that was, we, that all was the we all have imaginary friends. <laughs> we all talk to ourselves and we're talking to somebody. <laughs> Keep on talking to yourself. Guys, are you. What is yeah, going on? In the middle of this whole thing, I'm just going to go, what? <laughs> Stop talking to me. <laughs> it's too loud in here. Stop. Guys, what is going on with Taylor Swift? How did she break the internet? What the heck? This is. Well, first of all, you guys know what's going on, right? Like she yes. somehow like firebomb Ticketmaster or something, or not mm-hmm. literally, but like by launching ticket sales. Now all of a sudden, people can't buy tickets on Ticketmaster. Isn't this getting a little like out of control? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the the number, the thing that struck with me on that, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the numbers and I'm gonna talk about something that's going on in my neighborhood, which is literally the same thing. And so this is this what I mean, this is not, I'm talking not, about. This is the Beautiful mind coming out, right? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Quiet down. So, the, <laughs> uh, my neighborhood. So the so number one, there's that the number that Ticketmaster, like Live Nation, shared. They said we were expecting two million, and fourteen million people signed up. And so the question becomes: Well, why is it? Why did? How did? Why, like, how did they get the demand wrong? Mm-hmm. But then, more importantly, what's going on out in the real world? We're like this crazy demand. No, wait, so hold on. Let's back up that. Let's back up to the 2 million just, just for a second here too. They yeah. expected it to be four to 5 million. So they played some sort of like fan game or something like that. So right. they had real fans and not bots. That got them down to their $1.5 million. I mean, 1.5 person gateway. And then when they open it up, 14 million requests hit. So this like, hey, we're going to, we're going to separate people into real people. All of a sudden, doesn't work anymore. And then they're real human beings aren't be able to buy tickets and crazy bots or whatever. Um, it, like, it's, I feel like we've made it too complicated. The technology world is like kind of making up rules against just basically like, I don't know, go stand in line. You just wait four days and it's, you know, get your blanket out in your tent and go buy tickets. Those days are so gone to like, 
my cell phone's going to do it all and bots are going to take over that or whatever. So, so I just wanted to back so up. Like that's the that's how they got bots. to that 1.5 million thing is that they thought they had pre-qualified bots. fans. Mm. But I thought it was but the 14 million. I thought was like actual fans who were sort of used that moment to try and yeah, like real people that were trying to sign on. I think it was 14 million ticket right. requests. But yeah, like I, yeah, yeah. Look, we can't even we can't even explain it. We're just trying to buy tickets to get into a concert. Like. <laughs> What the heck happened? <laughs> well, you'd also have to assume that some people that are trying to buy them are buying them. And they're going to scalp them, obviously. Sure. So that there might be some people who are trying to buy in bulk and then sell them online through StubHub or what have you. Yeah. $10,000 markups the minute these yeah. things went for sale. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Crazy. So, Andrew, go ahead with the story because I want to hear about how this no, but, neighborhood. But in, my, in my neighborhood, a new cookie shop opened up. Cookie shop. Is it Levan Bakery? Because if it's Levan Bakery, it makes sense. No, it's not. Oh. It's like something that came from Utah that went that did well in LA. And then they just had they had like hour-long lines to buy these cookies. Always. I mean, for the past two weeks, you walk by huge lines. It started to slow down lately. And I asked the you know, one of the people in line, I said, excuse me, like, why did you buy these cookies? And and these are and, and they said, we saw this on TikTok. They're really popular. We we wanted to go, we were like, we wanted to try them. And and the, the the secret to the cookies is they're photogenic. I don't know how good they are. I still haven't <laughs> you know, I still bought photogenic. Them well, they make a great like Instagram post, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're like, yeah, they're photogenic. <laughs> they know how to you know they're, they know the how blue to smile. steel cookie, right? <laughs> the blue steel. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that there was nothing on Twitter when I searched on Twitter for the shop. There was nothing on Instagram. There was just this whole other sort of sub-universe on TikTok where this cook, these cookies, this brand was popular. And, and it was, and like, and, you know, and there was no particular demographic in the, in the line. I mean, this is like on the East side of the you know, upper East side of New York and, uh, and more towards like the hospital. So you're not like, it's not like a cookie place on Madison Avenue. It's like a cookie place on like third Avenue. And it's just, it's a whole mix of New Yorkers waiting in line for cookies. And it's huge lines. And I there's no evidence in my YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter feeds of why this thing's going on. I had to ask somebody and they said TikTok. And look, I don't have TikTok just because it freaks me out to have that thing on my phone, but I obviously watch the videos on the on, on the web. But the point is that is a it it, it just struck me as something else is going on on these platforms. And it's, there's, there's kind of an exponential math to it. And it's very hard to understand it, just kind of observing, even if you're in it, right? Even if you're engaging on Twitter every day, even if you're engaging with YouTube videos every day. Um, and, it, it, and, and so I, I wonder how much of the miscalculation on demand reflects Ticketmaster misunderstanding. Well said. That, I mean, right? besides that, Russian hmm. collusion, which we know is what happens on TikTok all the time. The um, Chinese they him. They own yeah. it. <laughs> there is a sense they're collecting all our data, I and mean, they probably own part of the cookie shop. <laughs> they probably do. That's what it is. It's actually communist cookies, is what it's called. Yeah. You didn't realize. <laughs> the CCP didn't realize is a minority that. investor. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, they're made in the store, but the dough yeah. is made. It's a in cookie China. and sickle is the sign. You just didn't really get. You thought that was a popsicle. That's you missed the whole uh, actual uh, the red and yellow star cookie. <laughs> right. No, they're. Uh, Andrew, what you're talking about is so real because 
the idea of pop culture has totally faded away to like pop sub tribal movements. And yep. we, the idea yep. that we could all experience something together, the only thing we experience together is trauma, like January 6th attack. Even that is subdivided. You don't even really know what happened because you have so many stories and feeds and ideas and yep. whatever. Um, you, you, in, and spins like the, the mainstream media is, can't get the real news out because they're holding back based off of whatever political agenda their network has. We're kind of missing that. What is reality? What is happening kind of moment. And I think you're right. Some of the creators are missing it too. They don't, do they have a sense of what's important or are we, or basically is it coming to roost? Is this what we've been waiting for? Let's get rid of figureheads that were running things. And now everyone Mm. decides and it's anarchy, content anarchy. No, it's, it's the, the way that the, the easiest way to think about it is that is scarcity, right? That that the linear cable bundle that we grew up with aggregated over 100 million American viewers and went to advertisers and said, hey, we have scarcity. You want to reach the most Americans possible? Go to us. And they still have that pitch at upfronts, even though cord cutting is accelerating. But that's the pitch. We have scarcity. And the problem that's happening now, and it's very hard to understand just because it happens in all these black boxes, right? Is that like that cookie story is that, you know, those cookies are a scarce resource and TikTok generated demand for it through some sort of black box machinations or you know, people engaging or like it hit on something. And same thing goes for Taylor Swift. Like, of course, Taylor Swift is going to have demand for her concert. But if the guys who understand the ticket business get the math wrong, then there's something they don't understand about the demand for her concert. And that there's something going on in these black boxes that that people don't, that that traditional models of understanding distribution, of understanding audience demand, of, of monetizing users, it's just been blown up. And so the one of the things you said was a really elegant way of saying it, which is, I just think like everything's kind of happened, has led to this moment where it's, this is what fragmentation is. This is what it means to live through fragmentation and, and, and listening to you and sort of talking about this, it made me think of like the Malcolm Gladwell hush puppies example. Totally. Right? Like, I was just thinking were popular. That. <laughs> right, they're popular in the East village of New York city and what, like, like the early two thousands, late nineties. And then they took off. And that was, I, mean, I lived in New York city. I grew up in New York city. The East village was its own contained universe, right? It was basically like the, the, the Broadway show Rent captured a good part of that kind of squatter culture. And there was also the drug culture in Tompkins Square Park. Like when I was a kid, you didn't go there. Yeah. When I was in my late teens, early 20s, there was a bar I went to called uh, the Corova Milk Bar, which was inspired by um, Clockwork Orange. You'd mm. Go there and get alcoholic milkshakes. Like it was, but you would go there. You wouldn't go anywhere else. You just go yeah, there yeah. and maybe you go to someplace else, <laughs> like dumplings. And so, but and and that's the thing, like that was the hush puppies were a product of fragmented New York. They weren't like, you know, you're not going to have like international hush puppy moment now. Right. It's not going to be sort of this international stock. You know what? The, the other example, most recent example I heard of the same thing was the Stan Smith Adidas shoes, where Stan Smith was signed up, kind of well-known athlete. OK, people like the shoes, but the Beastie Boys. And, and when they're on tour with Run DMC, they would wear these shoes and they loved them. And then they would sing the songs. Adidas had no idea this was happening. They just saw this crazy boom in hmm. shoe sales. They had no idea no what was idea. going on. Yeah. And it was like an intern that said, are you kidding me? You haven't heard the song? You, don't, you haven't been to a concert? And these 
these executives go to a concert and at some point the artist is the, the singers are like holding up the shoes and the whole everyone in the and the audience grabs their shoes and hold them up. And Adidas is like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> we weren't aware of it. And you're right. It's like the power of some voices change. Yeah. And we can't see beyond that, the whatever the data realm is. Like we're, you know, when you're, yeah. I guess when you're trying to build something or work with something professionally, you create a bias of where the money is going to come from, how it's going to be paid for. That's how you raise your money. And then you're looking that way. And the losses and the gains might be coming from somewhere else outside of our, our scope. I think it, it just also, it goes to show that I just, people just don't really know their customers as well as they think they do. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the <laughs> yeah, avatar thing you were talking about yeah. a, a couple weeks ago. It's like, are, are they missing it? I feel like on this side of, of the Fox wall, <laughs> whatever Disney <laughs> Fox wall, like, are, are they, I don't think they're getting it. I don't think they understand no. how it's not connecting but they must be telling themselves something on the other side of that. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely an aspect of, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. Like we have all this data, look at all this data we have that tells us X, Y, and Z. And clearly Ticketmaster had data that said, okay, this is the demand we're looking at. This is the percentage of bots based on past experience. But obviously they totally underestimate the fact that how popular Taylor Swift is and how popular she is and how, you know, the fact that people haven't been able to see her in a few years. So this is her first tour in I think four or five years or something like that. And, and she's, she's popular and it's just, and to the avatar example, it's just, they think avatar is more popular than it actually is. And they may have data that's telling them that, but clearly they, you know, I think it's the bubble mentality. It's just being in that bubble of LA and not really getting out and, you know, talking to actual people about whether or not they feel a connection to Avatar. They think there is one, which is why when they run their trailers, it says return to Pandora as if people have a yearning to go back to Pandora when it's been 13 years since the last movie was out. So again, don't you even say like that whole, like live behind wall, work behind wall coastal yeah. thing of the, yeah. the quote flyover state these are exactly the kind of yeah. ideas that we're talking about on a week-by-week basis right. is hey sometimes we just can't hear what's actually happening and tiktok right. is doing something that if we're not on tiktok we just can't hear it or see it yeah exactly exactly what you what you guys are talking about though is is everything you're saying if you applied it to youtube and the creator economy and and hollywood kind of looking at the creator economy and, and youtube celebrities right now like that's it. I mean, that. what does it mean for these guys to have basically the similar camera setups to you and I and you're doing monologues and doing edited videos of, of them doing whatever it is that their fans really value them for? And all of a sudden, advertisers saying, hey, you're premium content. Like, you, the, like you're getting, com- coming back to scarcity. Like, what do you mean Mr. Beast has hundreds of millions of views? Right. I mean, what do you mean he's doing like Willy Wonka and, and squid game, you know, that, that all of a sudden, and that, that it, you get in, you're getting into this place where real shifts are happening and they're happening again in these black boxes at enormous scale. And they kind of map to old models of distribution, right? That avatar in theory is going to find the avatar is going to find the avatar fans. There's no, no doubt about that. And they're still, they're still fans. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a question of how many are still alive, right? It's really like how many are still nostalgic and how many like really love that universe, live and breathe that universe. Um, How many like the papyrus font, right? But but on the other side of it is 
do they need that, right? And that and that's the thing that YouTube is, is has been really really pushing on in a way that makes a, a whole generation of Hollywood executives, all the way up to like Steven Spielberg, right, very uncomfortable. Which is why treat this medium as anything other than a less than, right? That it's it's not that doesn't have the same artistry artistry as we have. Like, why would you put movies on this medium? Why would like why would why why is the quality, why should we treat the creator economy and, and all that content as anything equal to like these great Hollywood movies in the same medium? Why are they distributed in the same place? You know, why did like, why are we competing? And the short answer is that the, the easiest answer is fragmentation, right? The, the, the problem is that the, the internet has proven again and again, in different media industries, whether it's newspapers, whether it's cable, um, whether it's movie distribution, um, whether it's the record industry, it just fragments. Mm-hmm. And, 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 what, and, and the problem that, that with the, the term fragmentation is that, is that in the simplest way, you say fragmentation means fragmented distribution, right? That music is still in MP3 format and on like download, you know, on streaming format on Spotify and it's on a- Apple Music and then there's SoundCloud versions, right? Like music is fragmented. News is fragmented. News is on newspaper sites. News is on Twitter. News is on Apple News, right? That's fragmented. And everybody says, well, that's distribution. But the thing that Hollywood is really struggling to understand, and you know, my bias is, I think, one of the few people to understand it was the former Warner Media team, Jason Kyler and his team, um, when they were sort of talking about the logic of building on HBO Max and building out multiverses and the key, the common variable were beloved IP and beloved characters, is that fragmentation actually means, and I think this is where it's headed, Fragmentation means that Avatar actually isn't most valuable as a blockbuster movie. Avatar is most valuable as a blockbuster movie and some sort of special merchandise and some sort of particular game in that, in that world. So it's that, the universe. That, the or, Avatar universe, universe is more valuable universe, than the right. first kickoff right. movie. Yeah, right. And, and, and I think that's the... And by the way, that's the black box that we don't know, right? We're not on Wattpad reading the Avatar fan fiction, but there might just be this whole sub, you know, there might be this whole subgenre of Avatar fan fiction. I don't know. Uh, I don't care to know. I, I, I fall into Keith's bucket of people who really like love the experience of it, but don't miss it. Right. Um, and I, I think that when you th- talk about fragmentation, the really difficult challenge that everybody's having is that they look at it as a distribution problem. Whereas really what the creator economy is doing and really what the internet enables is that it fragments the business model and it fragments spend into a variety of things. And YouTube does, YouTube's answer to fragmentation is, yes, we are a distribution channel, but we are also a way to tip uh, your favorite creators. We're also a way to put stickers and, and, and make the, the chat experience that much better for you, for them, make it easier for you to buy merchandise from right. them. All of a sudden they're, they're saying, the, the connection between the individual and the entertainment has been fragmented by the internet. And it's a very, it's a, it's an ongoing process of what are the things that people will pay. So how does this affect marketing of brands? Like what, if you're a marketing executive at a, I don't know, large corporation, how do you find your demographic if it's fragmented? So, cause aren't you therefore putting your advertising on the wrong, against the wrong show on television or not, not chasing, your the the right TikTok follower because you can't see that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you're right. It's the, it's the data is increasingly important. There's actually an article I can't remember if it's in the Wall Street Journal. It might have been the Wall Street Journal this week where it was about how all these 
media agencies, uh, media buying agencies have become much more rigorous around e-commerce and data science because they had to be. Um, And, but then you have brands like Procter & Gamble saying, well, yes, we work with agencies, but we actually want to move stuff in house. And so you end up having this very, uh, to your point, like it's a, it's, it's, it's a complicated moment that, that, that there's, there's a data science to this stuff. There's this understanding of what consumers will pay for. It's, there's an entire generation of consumers who are just going to come who are emerging now mm. who didn't grow up with cable. Right. And, and therefore not commercial, right? YouTube. Like they right. didn't grow up with cable. <clears throat> they don't know what a commercial is really. They're yeah. just been marketed to by a they, they know they can skip a commercial if they want to. Yeah. Right. 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 They, yeah. They don't know. Right. They don't, they don't know. I'd like to teach the world to sing. They know I'd like to teach. Then they press skip. Right. Next. So true. <laughs> I mean, think about different. It's so, so odd to have the experience of like, well, there were only two other channels to choose from. So you watch the commercial because there was the other two choices weren't there right. to skip because some, some right. infinite feed is going to give you something. But what does Procter and Gamble do then? Like, did they, are they going to ask different questions? Are they going to push a limit of something? Are you going to create a new type of marketing format to, to reach this audience? What's the game there? Well, so they, I mean, they, they, they just dropped a bomb in the past two weeks that, that people, I think, I think it's, people are still processing, but they, 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 the, the CEO and the CFO. Um, so let me, re, let me take a step back. Cause it's actually kind of interesting how I found it. I didn't know about this. This wasn't showing up in my feeds. People were talking about it. And I, and I follow a lot of reporters. I follow a lot of people in, in business journalism and nobody was saying, Hey, did you know that Procter and Gamble just announced that it's going to reduce its, its brand spend, the stuff that it spends on upfronts and redirect it towards digital. Nobody said it. And then I was reading the trade desk, the transcript of the trade desk call. And the first thing that the CEO, one of the first things that the CEO Jeff Green says is, hey, did you listen to the Procter & Gamble uh, uh, call? Because mic drop, like this is our model. They're going to work with us now. We're great. We've, we've made the right bet. And what he was, what they said was, we're just not going, like we don't, we don't, we're, we're taking money out of linear. We're not spending money there. We're not, we are not going to spend money on anything where we can't track the results. So a Nielsen rating is like garbage to them now. The idea of a questionable earning on or whatever, opposed to know the actual click rates. Right. And well, the way they define it is they said, we're buying reach, right? And so what does it mean to buy reach? And buying reach means that you buy, you know, it reaches sort of in, in, the, in the broadest possible sense, right? Is that if you want to find 10 million Americans between 18 to 34, then you know, back in the day, MTV Networks, you know, MTV Networks pitch was, hey, we've got a suite of these networks. You should just buy us because that's going to reach. That's how you reach 10 million uh, Americans 18 to 34. Um, fast forward to now, YouTube says, you know, if you want to reach 10 million 18 to 34 year olds, we have them. We have them on connected TVs. We have them working with these creators. We're going to make sure that you have brand safe content. We can tell you which creators to work with and which ones not to based on your brand objectives. And then TikTok's doing something similar. Um, and then you have obviously Meta's business model and Instagram. And so there, there's all these objectives now that if you think of the of the internet as a means for, for driving business objectives, that is what, uh, and, and like, and not, not, not the sort of the broad um, kind of like ambiguous concept of, of, of reach that we saw in linear, but actually something much more specific, right? Which is I want to reach 18 to 10 to 18, uh, 10 million, 18 to 34 year olds. And I want them to, to help me with this business objective. Mm-hmm. That is a lot closer to 
that, that they basically said that's the path we're headed down. Because they can measure the business objective more clearly than just exposure. Hey, I reached exposure, them. I hope yeah. they buy. Now I can say yeah. I reached them. Did they buy? Right. Because they can see the yeah. actions off of that. Oh, oh, yeah. Right. The thing that's always been explained to me is this is consumer products, right? So they're maybe they're following the 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 purchase of P and G goods on on Amazon or some or Walmart or someplace else. But you know, it it gets it's. I'm sort of curious what Coca Cola says, and I actually haven't read their um, uh, earnings call yet. Or, and but the the transcript, but for Coca Cola, right? The, the whole thing that their business is built around is retail velocity, right? Which is how many how many bottles can you move from a shelf in a particular neighborhood? And that and that was the way that they measured the effectiveness of an ad. Um, they still, I think, the TV ad they still do to the to this day. But it's it's the thing that's never really the the, the disconnect that's played out often, but not always in digital is whether a digital ad could drive that same retail velocity, right? Whether it could whether somebody seeing an ad on Facebook would then get up in their car and drive to the uh, local market and and get. Coca-Cola because they were thirsty. That's that ne- that was one of the big disconnects I think in in in, um, in digital until recently. And so there's the first question is what's changed in digital to change Procter and Gamble's mind? I don't really know. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, it might be just the, the I think I mean there probably an obvious answer which is all the privacy stuff has just gotten obliterated, and so now they feel more comfortable about spending about targeting ads that they're not dealing with kind of black box dishonest vendors um, who's going to. Who are, going, who are going to misuse their data? Uh, you know, there's this concept of clean rooms as a concept of that the, the data has to be um, structured in a particular way. From oh, so you know, there's actual people instead of bots or other bots, other yeah. control exactly. So, so that may just it might it may just be like Apple's ATT changed their thinking on all this, and they felt better about that that it's cleaner. Um, but you know, coming back to so bots aren't just only good for overthrowing political elections. You can also <laughs> get consumer product good. Can get, okay. can get a multi not billion dollar company to change its completely advertising. Yeah, yeah just yeah, yeah mm-hmm. right. Bots <laughs> move soda. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, all I keep thinking is like the Super Bowl is going to be so boring if the consumer ad spend is going to go digital. Instead of the big, yeah, I, they're still going to spend on live sports. I mean, I, yeah, they're still going to spend some. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy percent. that they're pulling well, out. Listen, FTX is gone, so that commercial <laughs> is totally shot. No, I mean, but and I, now I Procter think, and Gamble is not going to spend their money on it. So that means Tide and right. all those commercials. I, I think Old the big Spice question is not going to happen. And this is something that you know we even you know back in the day, five six years ago, we were already talking about this in the film industry. Like, how do we know that? I mean, it was it really was, it sort of was an evolution where we knew that on a Wednesday or Thursday, you know, a week before we came on tracking, we would get sneak a sneaky tracking was what they called it. So we could see how we were going to land. So we could prepare ourselves for whatever it was going to be. And we knew if we needed to go to numbers, we would just run a spot over across the street to Fox broadcasting and run it on American idol. Cause we knew we guaranteed to see at least 30 million. And then boom, next week, whoop, 10 points, it goes up. That's now gone. Like you can't do that anymore. So it's like, now it's like, well, where's the audience going and where's the audience more engaged? And, you know, obviously migration to digital is obviously happening and you can see with the viewership dropping where you have a show like Yellowstone, which averages 14 million viewers a week, which is like, Oh my God, 10 years ago, friends was averaging 30 million. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just a totally different ball game now. And I think to Andrew's point about what, what is most effective and it's still a challenge about whether or not they're actually it's a driving a purchase i mean it's a lot easier sort of with a 
I think, a consumer product to sort of see the consumer's journey about whether or not they're clicking on it and buying it, because you can do that a lot easier. Like we had Facebook come in to pitch us once and they were talking about, they had this trailer that came up and they said, look at all the engagement we got in this trailer, how many people watched it. And then our, C- our, C- our CMO at the time raises his hand and says, yeah, but that movie bombed opening weekend. So just because they watched it doesn't mean they went and bought a ticket. So, I mean, this is a conversation that we've been having sort of in the marketing space for film, like where, where are the users, where, where are they going? That's why, you know, the spend on spot TV has dropped precipitously in most marketing budgets, because that's just not where the audience is. And I think Procter and Gamble is finally realizing why are we spending all this money on a 30 second TV spot when the audience just isn't there anymore. I love the bold move, but by the way, fact checking you, Keith, friends was oh, 20 years do. ago. So you're oh, showing, sorry, your, 20. You're showing oh. your COVID. Your, yeah, the time COVID, warped, COVID brain. Really, yeah, really <laughs> warped you about ten years on that one. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but <laughs> Thank the you, uh, but that. the um, but Procter and Gamble's that's a bold move to say it's it's yeah, basically it recognizing some BS out there, right? Yeah. Like they're we're basically have looking legacy technology, legacy metrics, and we're not getting the same return. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, and I think I think they also don't. I think it's it's a. But I think it's also coming back to this point about fragmentation. I think mm-hmm. they realize that they're just not, there's nobody who's going to have, they're talking about reach. And, and so that's, the, that's the, the more scientific version of reach is I'm going to go to platform A, platform B, platform C, give them these particular, um, uh, these particular targets and then in this particular scale. And then we're going to manage this cost effectively based off of these business, you know, X, Y, and Z business objectives. And all of a sudden you get into, I mean, that's where it gets really, really complicated. And, 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 and it's easier to write about than it is to execute because you, you know, the, the it's, it's, you're being presented with, um, you're just being presented with either understanding these media and understanding these particular platforms and understanding these creators and understanding what people consume, or you're sort of figuring it out along the way and trying to drive business objectives. And there's something that, that the Procter and Gamble pulled about 400 million, about, four years ago. Um, and then they also, I think it got, went up to even like a billion. They pulled it from digital. They're so unhappy with digital, but now they're saying we're going to go back to digital, but we're going to do it really cost effectively. And it's going to be part of overhead. And we're going to measure it based off of, you know, based, based on dollars generated. And it's a, you know, it's, it, it doesn't mean they're not going to buy Super Bowl ads. In fact, you know, the first thing that they did when they pulled back in digital spend is they did that like Mr. Clean dancing Super Bowl ad. Um, but they are, but they, I, but they're, they're also saying that this is, it's a new world. We have to adapt. And we think that we're, we know how to do it now. Um, and this is, and, but it's, you know, the, the, the C-suite executives on the call, like the CEO and the CFO were basically saying like, we are going into meetings and saying, we don't care about last year's ad brand spend. Like that is not the number we care. We want to care. We want to think about going forward. And that's that's a change. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it's going to be some disruption. That's oh, for yeah. sure. Because um, there's I'm definitely not- some legacy money and legacy projects and legacy agencies out there that have been depending on this for years and know that they can always put that on their budget. That's going to shift spending or at least shift the strategy inside these agencies. They're going to have to wake up and do something different. But what I also love about this, the, uh, the upside spin is this, is that a Mr. Beast personality could drive ad sales for Procter and Gamble, that's a pretty awesome, powerful position with very little 
people in between them. Like we don't need studio executives and television executives to greenlight something, to make something happen, to find the demographic. You just creators can create, draw an audience and be rewarded for it. Like that's a pretty awesome uh, economic shift there. Um, More fractionalization though, I would guess it's going to happen because we don't get the centralized people. More people will be fighting for the Procter & Gamble money, but um, the ability and power for a content creator goes up in that, that kind of economy. It's an interesting point. It's a really important point you're making. And it, the thing I'd only add to it is, I mean, I think they've been doing that. I mean, there's there's the recent book, Like, Comment, Subscribe by Mark Bergen, which is about YouTube's sort of path to this creator economy model. And it's a really good, it's a really good book. And what makes it a particularly good book is it sort of, it focuses less as a history and mo- much more as a, here are the key turning points in this business's history that helps you understand why it is what it is today. And I think that you know, from the beginning, you know, creators are being paid by advertisers. Um, but to your point, like it's a very different thing to be paid directly by by, by Procter and Gamble than it is by like Harry's Razors, who's trying to and or the Dollar Shave Club, right? That that all of a sudden it's that there's real money and there's sophisticated business results, sophisticated branding. I mean, there's just you can read all the books on marketing and they, they and they talk about the science of Procter and Campbell. Procter Gamble has a long tail of products too. Like they have such yeah. a large product line, they could pick and choose favorite markets. And now you're getting infused where before, if you're doing kind of clustered thing, you're only choosing your top, like a, a top 10 market instead of a long tail market. So you're like, okay, these are the 10 brands we're going to promote on these platforms. That's it. Women's channels. Here's a women's product, men's channels, men's product. Um, and here you can say, oh, wait, here's a product we have. We barely advertised for it, but this person meets the demographic. Let's just have her, let's just work with that content maker directly to them. Yeah. I don't know if they can get down to that kind of nuance. I don't know how big a machine they're planning on creating in-house to do that kind of look, but the data, I guess. It's a, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's a, it's, it's pretty substantial. Gosh. And I don't, I don't know what the direct consumer too. That's yeah. a whole other question too. Gosh, Andrew, I'm telling you, man, you are our beautiful mind. That's why we have you here. <laughs> you kept all your buddies quiet for that long. That's impressive. This is probably why he's so prolific in writing. He has all these other voices that he can just like just crank out all from, that yeah. stuff. Depends on who he's listening to that I, particular day. <laughs> look, I, I cannot wait for this Thanksgiving break because it means I don't have to write, but it's the, but the, cause I'm really, really tired and it's, it's a lot. I mean, this is a week where I'm like writing an opinion piece plus three newsletters. Um, but I, I think that it, it, writing for me, the thing, the reason why I like doing where I like writing is I've, I've found that it helps me make sense of things that I've read, right? Mm-hmm. The Procter and Gamble thing the whole, the whole Procter & Gamble thing started because I read that quote from, I was like, oh, I missed the trade desk call. What did he have to say? And then he quoted Procter & Gamble. And, and I thought, well, oh, that's weird. That's, that, that doesn't seem, that's, that's unusual. What is that about? And just sent me down this rabbit hole where I read the Procter & Gamble earnings and I, I, I'd, you sort of, I'd followed them in the background and, and it sort of knew what they'd been doing in a, uh, at a macro level. But then writing through it, I just started to realize like, whoa, the piece is kind of connecting this in this cool way. Um, and, but the, the, you know, the other thing that I've, I like about writing and that I've, I've found that I didn't really have when I was younger is I do, I, I, as I've done this, I mean, Tim, you've, you've known me since I was doing it. And like before Substack, I was doing some MailChimp newsletter, yeah. and literally like HTML coding the paragraphs. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was like, you know, 2000 words, essays, like P close P, yeah. but the, um, but the, but what I found is that the readers that I really want 
are not thinking about this stuff super in depth. And if they want something super in depth, I think they kind of want something like quarterly, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of the interesting thing. And so it becomes an interesting question of what a newsletter is. And for me, it's, I, I've, I try and treat it as an ongoing conversation, which is I'm going to put this out. I'm going to put this argument in front of you. I'm going to put this evidence. I know you probably know something different than me. You might even see this differently through a financial lens, but like, fine, here's what I have to say. And I'm going to say it in, in not as briefly as possible, but as sort of succinctly as I can, given what I'm describing. And it's, it, I'm trying to make it a conversation. Yeah. I mean, in the TLDR world we live in nowadays, you honestly, when you read your newsletter, you're realizing that is the cliff notes and it's still, a few thousand words so you have to kind yeah. of get through it. Mm-hmm. Like, like a thousand words on an hour long call from Disney where they're talking about financial metrics. Like it's, it's, it, we are in a TLDR world. I do think that the hardest part, and this, I mean, this, what the, this conversation has been really great at highlighting is it's very hard to process what these signals are, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, you know, the, the, the it's, it's hard. To, I think that's the Taylor Swift story in a nutshell. Like I don't think Ticketmaster or Live Nation, I don't think, either of them really understands what just happened. They're going to make sense of it, but there's like fundamental things have changed partially due to the pandemic, partially due to TikTok, partially due to creator economy, partially due to things that we just don't know are going on. Like, you know, the beastie boys wearing Adidas, like we just don't know. And very, and it's, I know that when I see something, my response, and, and I know that other people, people aren't saying it. I know my responsibility is not to be like, Oh, you idiot. You don't see it. Like it's like, and there, there's plenty of people out there like that. It's more so, Hey, I know you're looking at it this way, but you know, they said it this other way. And these are the things to consider. And, and that's the best I can do. I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not selling anybody on a stock. I'm not selling anybody on a particular outcome. I'm just trying to show like, these are the pieces they move. This is what they look like now. Here's how to think about things going. To me, what I love about your kind of agenda here too is that I, I can't tell you how many meetings I sit in, very important brand meetings that I can sit in. And the words, I think, I think this, and I think that, and I think this, I think that, and you realize this is a room full of opinions and not much knowledge. Mm, and nice. you're really kind of saying like, hey, that's really convenient for everyone to have an opinion. It's not really helpful unless it becomes knowledge. And knowledge has to be based off of putting these drawing these lines together, the beautiful mind grabbing all the theories and making it into something is something that says that's knowledge. And this invisible factor that we have is based off of like, well, we thought this, well, why did you think that? Did you look at the trends? Do you understand the works? Do you really recognize what the black boxes are? Are you working around them? And some of you know, obviously there are great flukes in the world. We call those crashes pop culture like those are moments everyone remembers because we just weren't expecting star wars to happen as well right (laughs) so we actually love them there's nothing wrong with them right but there is something interesting when you're talking about being a professional in an industry that you actually have to understand them it's not just well if we get really really popular they'll really really like us that isn't a strategy at all no you have to know you have to know who you're going to go after you have to know where they live you need to know why why they're there and what and what kind of content therefore you should make to motivate them instead of dealing with the content you want to make and hoping that everyone shows up that flipping the model is really what it's all about. So that's what I love about your, your newsletter and your movement is something to say, like, we should know this stuff. It's like this 1000 words, how long is it going to take you to read it? And this is stuff you actually need to know, but like, let's not be TLDR and skipping all this. But I think people have to have a, 
I think it's very hard to connect the dots these days, right? I mean, just because I mean, it's drinking from a fire hose in terms of the information, in terms of, of the number of things people need to do. Uh, you know, that, like there's COVID burnout, which I've been dealing with. And I keep, I mentioned people I'm burned out, like, hey, I'm burned out too. I think like there's, there's a real, it's very hard to be, to do the homework, to understand this stuff. And it's helpful when somebody else does the homework. Um, and they're really like, there are a lot of, there's a bunch of reporters out there who are unusually good at doing the homework and helping and asking the right questions, but there's a lot of stuff out there. That's just kind of like, you know, David Zosloff doesn't want to renew with the NBAs. I mean, it's not quite what he's saying. He's saying something, he's saying a few things, but, and, and it's, you have to think about what he's actually saying because it, it, you have to think about what he's saying in the context of P and G saying to him, Hey, we're not going to spend as much on TV next year. And you've got 12 billion and that you need to 12 billion efficiencies. And Hey, you know, sorry, good luck in finding an additional source of income. Like there, there's a, that it's, you have to understand, it, it's very hard to understand how the ecosystem works. It's even harder to understand it when there's fragmentation and it's even harder to understand it when there's fragmentation within black boxes, which are owned by giant companies that don't, you know, that have no obligation to help you understand how those things work. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's, it's a moment. I mean, it's, it's really um, it's, it's something to live through. I, I mean, I like, I really enjoy writing about it because it's so intellectually fascinating. There's, there's nothing more dynamic than, the streaming marketplace right now really it's just you, you can't think of anything and not even streaming because like, i'm writing about media like media right now is we're, we're kind of past that moment of oh man media is doomed and they're all gonna be owned, owned by hedge funds or private equity funds they're gonna bleed them for cash that this that the fact the things that youtube and tiktok have figured out are business models and they may not be giant like mtv in 1992 you know, just printing money um, and you know, st sticking the thumb in the eye of the man. Um, but it is closer to like MTV in in 1980s when cable still wasn't nationalized, that it right. wasn't like, right. it was still kind of niche. And they decided, all right, this, we need a music, we need a music television network. Um, that like, there's, there's a lot of, we're, we're, it feels more like we're in that moment and we're going to start hearing those stories of, of the, um, the people who really rethought this. Um, there's a whole other podcast we could do. Like, I was going to write it. I couldn't figure out how to write it, but it was, you know, the, the other thought I had about all this is I think the, one of the challenges for Hollywood is, you know, we've gone from the storytellers talking about the heroes, right. Or the, or the characters in their neighborhood are kind of being inspired by them. Right. Like keep on thinking of like Wooderson and dazed and confused, actually even like all the characters in dazed and confused. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, all those characters have a have a smartphone and a TikTok account in 2022. Oh, right? Right. Like, <laughs> if you want to meet those characters and be entertained by them, you don't need Richard Linklater. You just need a TikTok account mm. and like a little bit of know how. And I think that's a really that that to me is uh, a, a huge story. And 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 I don't know how anybody begins to tell it because it's sort of it eats away at the concept of creativity that we value so much, right? The, 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 our dreams on the big screen and living our lives through these other characters who we've never met and kind of living vicariously through them. Like that, that's no longer a luxury. There's no, there's no longer a, a line between us and uh, the giant screen. It's, and those, and these people we may never met and never, may never meet or encounter, right? That like, yeah. so the gods must be crazy. It was that whole story about a Coca-Cola <clears throat> bottle and an African tribesman, like, an African tribesman today has a smartphone. Yeah, right. Who would know where yeah. it is? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the the term I use is fake famous too. It's like I don't. Hmm. I think at one point you were trying to achieve something. There was a strategy of getting there. There were steps to making it, and all of a sudden you can accidentally do something, and then that's what you're known for. And you're like, darn it, this fake famous personality that I am, because <laughs> I have a smartphone and a ring light. Now I'm kind of stuck yep. playing this character, <laughs> and you can't get out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's like that. Yeah. I almost feel like the wrestlers. Um, uh, used to deal with that. It's like they were playing, they were using their names in the ring and then they would leave and people would want to beat the crap out of them at a bar. And they're like, I was, I was just, play just playing a character. You, <laughs> couldn't, yeah, you couldn't separate your, your character from your personality because you were wearing your costume all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and today, like that fake famous world that we live in has so much of that attached to it. We can't even find it anymore. You can't, you can't identify like they used to. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's funny. I don't know whose story to watch now, right? And I, I mean, and 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 it's a twofold problem. I don't know who to, in, in like TikTok and YouTube life, and then it's also when when it goes onto the screen. You know, what's what's the fictional life that's based off of real life that is going to be um, is going to be entertaining? Right? I think Hollywood is really struggling with this now, right? I mean, like we've gone from that moment where independent film was um, uh, kind of that Blockbuster made it easier for independent film to make money. And therefore, all of a sudden, we saw all these incredible stories uh, in, the, in the 1990s and the 2000s that, that otherwise we, we otherwise wouldn't have seen. Right. But now, 30 years later, it's like you know, those, those stories are having trouble getting uh, watched. I mean, they're, they're getting made and they're getting awards, but they're having trouble getting watched. And there's not really that much demand for them on Netflix or any of these other streamers. And they kind of get lost. And so there's something about, um, there's something that's just like, like the bottom's fallen out somewhere where the value proposition of being entertained by video and these sort of and escaping into another world, like it's just, it's starting to lose its charm in, in, in a way that's a little depressing. Yeah. And the, the corporations that the spend rate of corporations to keep up with the demand that's there where there's user generated content that keeps the distraction at no cost, right? You just own the platform and yeah. user generated. You keep me distracted for five hours. Yeah. I'll give we can close out with this math. Cause it's, it's sort of like the Taylor Swift math, right? Which is, I mean, Netflix is good. has like 5,000, 7,000 titles worldwide on its platform. And if you go from, so if, if every, so if there's 2 million creators in the partner program at, on YouTube below, and they do the same volume, as Mr. Beast does, which is 25 videos per year. That's 50 million videos that YouTube has against Netflix's five to 7,000. And that is a huge, huge advantage. And it's all, it's a whole entertainment experience dictated by an algorithm and a person's preferences yeah. and who they subscribe to and who they yeah. like. But, but it's, you, it, it becomes a very, it becomes, it, it's just hard to process. It's hard to understand what that even begins. Yeah. The, the term I have is the inverted yield curve from in, in economics. Then I feel content has had its own inverted curve for too long. It's like the amount of effort it takes and cost it takes to make two hours of entertainment for somebody. That So it's consumed in two hours, but it took you, I don't know, six months and $20 million Countless to generate millions two of dollars. hours. Yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't add up to as the pace at which we're consuming. Yeah. Okay, that two hours is done. Give me another one. Give me another one. Give me another one. Eventually, I run out of 
someone else's billion dollar spend and I'm still bored because I need something else. So then I jump to platforms user generated or anything else to video game or whatever, just take me off platform. It's so interesting that the, yeah. the, the shift that's happening has a lot of possibilities with this whole podcast about Hollywood is breaking the old rules or old ideas falling apart, but there's also opportunity to break in, right? So how do we break in? What's happening? What's changing? And we want to know those ins and outs. So Andrew, you are a blessing to our podcast and our listeners. Thanks for doing what you do. And thank goodness you read all that and listen to those calls for me because I just don't have the time or <laughs> the desire. Or the inclination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the more true statement. <clears throat> I'd always love having you on our podcast. Thanks for doing yes, this. Thank you for coming on, I Andrew. Appreciate it. I feel like we need that a regular segment with you just to keep us making us smarter. So yeah. keep doing it. and yeah. before we jump off, tell people where they can sign up for the parkour newsletter. So you can find me two places. The easiest one is uh, parkour, P-A-R-Q-O-R.com. Um, and then the second is uh, I, I'm the first third party publication uh, newsletter being distributed by the information. So on the information.com, they have a list of newsletters uh, and you'll find parkour there too. Uh, you'll be able to find an archive of my old mailings and you'll also be able to find I think if you find me on the information, you'll find the archive of my, I have a monthly column. Um, it doesn't have a name. It's just a column, I wrote an opinion piece I write for the information about uh, media. And so uh, I have one coming out next week, probably maybe Tuesday, possibly Wednesday. Um, and, and yeah. And we have a couple of things working in the background. Andrew and I don't stop talking um, once the camera turns off. So hopefully there's a few other little things will pop up for us in the next year. Um, but thanks again, Andrew. Good to see thanks, you. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, guys. Keith, thanks for keeping us together. You look great on that new ring light, Keith. Yeah, Good job thanks. On that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, later, guys. Later. <laughs> <laughs>